with me to uh, a text, 1 Thessalonians 5, right at the end of this epistle from Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to read the three verses and it will not take long. These are short verses and I think as soon as we do, everyone will be able to pick out the outline, <laughs> the three points. You know, um, I don't remember back in all those homiletics classes uh, ever hearing about this. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to just, that, that preachers when they're picking a text and planning sermons and all, they don't have to just use the ones, uh, you know, the texts and the sermons uh, if they've got the applications mastered. You know, they're perfect models of what they're preaching. And if that's all we could preach from, I'd be preaching from a very small Bible. And the passage before us is going to be one that has been a challenge, I think, to a number of people uh, over the years. And yet a um, very sweeping kind of applications and kind of a summary in, in some sense of our perspective on life is the Lord's people. But uh, from 1 Thessalonians 16, let's listen to these verses, beginning with verse, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, I don't know if I said that wrong. Let's hear these words the Lord caused to be written for us. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, my uh, mind usually works backwards anyway, and I'm going to start with the very end of the text that I just read. And the clause there about God's will for you. And probably most everyone here at one time or another has spent a concentrated amount of time uh, thinking, praying, and maybe talking to friends about the Lord's will. And it's usually when there's a big decision coming up. It's usually something about where to go to school or what house to buy or uh, whom to marry or what, you know, something pretty big and momentous in life. And usually when we are doing this, we're, we're seeking some guidance and seeking to know uh, what uh, decision is going to be pleasing to the Lord, the way in which He's leading. And so this is a concern for a lot of folks, knowing God's will. I think we could could assume that, but there's something right uh, interesting to me anyway in, in the New Testament especially. Uh, in the, the original language, there are a couple of different words that are used for will, of God's will in particular. Uh, one of the words uh, seems to indicate what the Lord has decided in His decrees, okay, it's before the foundation of the earth and all of that, and and basically, the outworking of that is everything that happens, the events of history, the circumstances of our lives, all of it is a playing out in, in His providence of uh, what He has determined. So when we talk about uh, God's will in that sense, it's going to be something that, that we don't know about, at least as far as the future is concerned. We know a lot about what's happened, that's you know, certain. But, but uh, that's going to be something that is somewhat... Um, 
hidden or, or mysterious or you know, waiting to be uh, more evident later uh, in, in His providence. Now, a big highfalutin term, if you like those, is uh, the Lord's decretive will related to the word decree. Okay? And that's one of the words. But now, there's another word that is used very frequently in the New Testament talking about God's will, and that's the one that we have here. And in this sense, it seems to be not so much that which is hidden or from us or known only to God, but, but what is pleasing to Him and what He has told us rather clearly about in the Scriptures. Okay? And that's what we have in particular here. This is one little summary of, of a lifestyle that is going to be pleasing to the Lord. In that sense, what is His will uh, for us? Theologians might call this the preceptive will. It's related to his precepts. Okay? Uh, we've got another example just across the page. Since it's so uh, close, you might look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God concerning you, your sanctification. And that's, that's the, well, in, in a word, that kind of sums it all up. That is your growth in holiness. That's the, the Spirit of God taking the Word of God to conform us to the image of Christ. And then specifically in that passage, it relates to your abstaining from sexual immorality and on the passage goes. Okay? But the God's will in this sense is something that can be rather clearly known and understood. And the, the point here to make is that the, the, those times when we are praying to know God's will or want to, to see God's will or, or what have you, the thing to start with is what God has clearly said. Not so much those things that are you know, established in His decrees that are going to be played out in history and in our lives, but what we know is clear. I mean, it's, it's, it's pleasing to Him. That is our growth in grace, our growing in holiness, and then these points that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Just in, in short, walking with Him and uh, living uh, in a way that's glorifying to him. Okay. So basically, if uh, there are ever decisions in which we're facing something that is clearly sinful, clearly the decision may be motivated by pride or selfishness, you know, that's an easy one. It's not God's will. <laughs> you know? That's, that's just very... Plain, and uh, let's follow very clearly, or you know, what is very clearly seen and known uh, in the scriptures. Okay, so here's here's a kind of an, an expansion of that, if, if you would, and let's look at these three elements that Paul lays before uh, the Thessalonians right at the end of his uh, his epistle. One, rejoice always. Those that get into little trivia answers and all. Uh, this is actually a shorter verse in the original language. In number of words and letters, it's shorter yet than Jesus wept from uh, John 11. Okay, but all of these commands, of course, are just very briefly stated, very terse, but they're very emphatic. And I need to just explain a little bit that's interesting to me, anyway. Uh, first of all, in, in the original language, the, the, the Greek there, they had what they call a present tense, and that involved continuous, ongoing 
repeated action. Alright? And would you believe all three of these commands are imperatives in the present tense? So keep on praying, keep on rejoicing, keep on giving thanks. So we can't just, you know, uh, come to a point once in our life where we are really rejoice, really happy, and really do a lot of praying and really giving thanks, and then walk away and say, well, I've done that. Forget about it the rest of our life. Or even first thing in the morning, which is not a bad idea, but then just forget it the rest of the day. The, the point of, of the tense there is this should be an ongoing feature of our lives. Okay, continuous uh, action. And it gets uh, even more interesting when you look at these in the original, and they had a, a way of emphasizing things by the word order. That is, if there was a, a word that, that the author wanted to emphasize a lot, he would slide it right up to the front of the sentence or the clause. It makes awkward English, but it made perfect sense in, uh, in the original, and it was just a way of communicating even more clearly. And it's very interesting in each of these verses, it's the, um, the qualifier that's put in front. Okay, in other words, always keep rejoicing. Unceasingly keep on praying. In everything, keep giving thanks. And it's, it's just hard to imagine how this could have been any more emphatic or any more clear. This is something that should be just nonstop, continuous, and ongoing pattern as the Spirit of God works in our lives. And down through the years, uh, many folks, including perhaps some of you, have read these verses and they just thought, you know, there's just no way. And if there was a way of kind of dialoguing with Paul, I think some of us would say, well, yeah, but uh, you don't know my husband. Or you wouldn't believe my boss. Or you just don't have a teacher like I have in school. Or you don't face the problems that we do nowadays. You ever thought that? And of course, the Apostle Paul's life was just a bed of roses. He never had any uh, problems himself. He never had any difficulties. You know, he just had it made. Right. Well, we can read a little bit more about Paul. Just a few pages over, if you'd like to turn, you can from Second Corinthians 11. Okay, different passage, same author. Okay, listen to the one who wrote about rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. Okay, Second Corinthians 11. Begin with the 23. He speaks about uh, his uh, labors, uh, his imprisonments. He says, uh, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Why 39? Why such an odd number? You heard this? That's the most they could give somebody for a crime and still come back later and do the same thing to them. If they gave them 40, they couldn't punish them again for the same crime. So they just kind of left that door open each time. 39 lashes. Okay? Uh, verse 25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, the night and the day I spent in the deep, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers 
from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. tell you folks, compared to the Apostle Paul, Indiana Jones lived a pretty boring life, right? And a man that endured all of those things, and some of those are just summaries of many different episodes, and yet he would write, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. He could do that because there was power at work in his life. Spirit of God. And the Lord hadn't lost his touch from that day to this. It's the Spirit of God that's in your lives. It's those who have come to know the Lord. Now, let's look at these three just uh, very briefly again. Are these just kind of separate, random, unrelated commands? Or is there any kind of thread that runs through? Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. Well, obviously, I, I think there is a thread. I think there is some common ground underneath all of these because all of these indicate response of someone uh, who is aware of the continuous involvement of God in his life. Belief that God's just not up there as the you know, the great hand ringer in the sky looking down, uh, wondering what's going to happen next to himself. But a God who is intimately involved in our lives, intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And the Lord who is uh, sovereignly directing the events of our lives. Somebody can rejoice when their lives are undergirded by the promises of God's presence and care. And using all of the things that happen in life them to the image of Christ. Someone can be continuously in prayer when he's aware of the Lord's leading and strengthening in his work, active work, in the lives of people around him and in his own as, as well. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't pray, you know? And then you can have a life of thanksgiving uh, as you understand God as the source of blessings and that we don't live in a universe that's governed by uh, random haphazard fate that God uh, is, is there and is the one who blesses and providentially controls the events of our lives as I say, all for the image of Christ there can be rejoicing, praying and thanksgiving as these truths uh, undergird uh, someone's life you know on the one hand I, I guess as, as I was preparing for this on the one hand, it seems like, you know, these are just very, very simple commands, you know, and, you know, we ought to rejoice and pray and give thanks. And, and it, going into it, 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 it almost struck me as, as a rather superficial sermon, you know, the real deep theological, you know, meaty types. And I'm not so sure now. Because of more than just some more do's and don'ts, you know, to, to put on our list, it really describes a, a radical paradigm change in someone's life from being a self-centered person to a God-centered person from a self-centered 
perspective on life to a God-centered perspective on life. If it's there, then there can be the kind of rejoicing and giving of thanks and praying that Paul is describing here. And if I may just give maybe a personal reflection on this, I would just suggest to you that maybe you have personal things to say about this from your own life and experience, but but at times when people have strayed from the Lord and have wandered and have lived in, in times of rebellion and, and doing this uh, to the Lord, times of, of straying from Him, many times they're going to start with the opposite of these three things we're talking about in, in this passage. Let me just, just to illustrate. Uh, many times they start with an attitude of griping and murmuring rather than rejoicing. Because underneath that is the attitude that I really deserve a better life than what i got right now. And I'll be tempted to do whatever it takes to get that kind of life and that kind of entertainment and that kind of fulfillment that I think I deserve. So the stage is set then for straying further from the Lord. Um, many periods of straying may cause with an attitude of self-dependence. I'll do it my way. Thank you instead of that um, utter dependence upon God and that sense of our own moral bankruptcy and our, our utter need of Him for everything that's going to show itself in praying uh, without ceasing. And then a lot of times astraying you're going to sit in when there's discontentment and just not being settled and not being happy with what I've got rather than that thankful uh, commit, uh, excuse me, contentment that's going to show itself in a continuous giving thanks, okay? Uh, let me just talk here just a moment, if I could, uh, praying without ceasing, and this is going to apply to the other two as well, but if we may just, just have a few minutes to think very practically uh, about this, and I suppose a great deal has been written about just how you do that, you know, how exactly do you implement praying without ceasing. Of course, I think in, in childhood and all, you know, usually we think, well, I've got to eat, right, I've got to sleep, I can't pray all the time, and and I think, you know, there, there are things, you know, commanded in the Bible, obviously, to do uh, along with praying. But I'll just suggest to you what uh, some folks have, have suggested about praying without ceasing, how to do this and what it all means. Uh, first of all, one thing you can see when you study the, the characters of the Scripture, like Daniel, okay, is the regular times in the day for prayer. In Daniel's case, it was you know, three times. And uh, whatever the case in your life, if there's any decline in that regularity, then that's probably indicating a problem. That's not praying without ceasing. And uh, that might be a place to start. Those times when you set aside, uh, particularly for prayer, uh, privately or perhaps with other people, no decline uh, in those. And then uh, Dr. Spurgeon, in one of the the uh, lectures he gave to his ministerial students, and I think this applies to, to everyone. Uh, speaking of the minister, he says, he's not always in the act of prayer, but he lives in the spirit of prayer. And I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Certainly not always on our knees, not always directly talking to the Lord, but at all times there's the awareness of the presence of God in our lives any time whatsoever, okay, the Lord is listening and the throne of grace is there and just that, that continuous closeness, I think that's the 
maybe what he meant when he spoke about living in the spirit of prayer. And it does make you think, are there things that I wouldn't want to be doing at the same time I'm talking to the Lord, doesn't it? <laughs> some uh, encouragement there as far as our, our, uh, some of our choices and that kind of thing. But here's uh, one more, um, and, and I think uh, about this when I, I remember a, a book I read several years ago, and I may have mentioned it here, probably have the uh, biography of Stonewall Jackson by, uh, by Dr. Dabney. And it, at that, in, in that book he relates that, that someone somewhere along the way asked uh, General Jackson, what he did about this verse about praying without ceasing, and he's he's he seemed to be the kind that wouldn't have told it otherwise, but just to answer some guy's question, he shared some of these things. Otherwise, we wouldn't know him. Uh, by the way, okay, because he, he just wasn't the kind that would would advertise these things. But he, he said that that he had he had tried to develop the discipline of attaching any little routine thing in life, attaching prayer to it. And what he meant by that was he would bend down get a drink of water as he was bringing it to his lips. He would just brief prayer of thanks silently. You know, no one else hearing it, but just thanks to the Lord for providing that water. When he would be mailing a letter, putting it in the box or whatever they had you know, back then, he would pray for the one that was going to receive that letter, and that it would accomplish, you know, the Lord's blessing or whatever he intended. As he was opening a letter that he received from someone else, okay, he would begin by praying just for the Lord's leading for whatever he was going to face when he read the letter once it was opened. As he was preparing for a classroom setting there at the Military Institute in Lexington, would be filing in one by one and uh, taking their seat in the class. He would pray for each one of them as they came in and sat down. Perhaps many of those guys never knew. You know, he didn't have this big, you know, splashing signs that's praying, you know, what was going on. But he was doing that. And there were times that he would be seen uh, on his horse in the field of battle. And as his soldiers would be filing past him and inhaled in the musket and cannon fire their lives in jeopardy, he would be praying for them. He could be seen with his mouth kind of moving a little bit sometimes with his hand up raised. People that didn't know him might have thought he was losing it. Started to talk to himself. But the fact is he was praying for the Lord's protection bring to, the, to their minds those things they had heard from the scriptures, perhaps from their chaplain, perhaps from their moms and dads and childhood. And the Lord would work them up, the Lord would work in their hearts. And he would even pray for the widowhood and orphanage that was about to set in. He would attach any little routine event that occurs in life. Prayer. I think I saw this once back when uh, I was in college. Uh, I was uh, shanghaied, I guess, into getting into a choir. 
uh, they needed all the men they could find. You know, all of them had tried out, made it. Yeah, they told me just move them out, but don't sing. You know, during programs. I remember this this uh, particular program. Uh, different, you know, two or three uh, different choir members in those programs would introduce a particular song. This would be a little different, different people, different songs, you know, each each concert. And they would tell a little bit about why the song meant something to them, maybe something going on in their life, you know, this kind of business. Get a little bit of a personal touch to it. You know, just break the monotony of singing one after the other. And I remember one young man was uh, introducing a song, and in the course of talking, Engaged, that uh, he, he was planning to be married, and most of us didn't know this. Uh, we, uh, his fiance, didn't go to school there. You know, we, we weren't aware of it. The director himself wasn't aware of it apparently either. And I remember watching our director, or just noticing him when this guy said that. Okay, as soon as he mentioned that he was engaged and planning to be, to be married. The director just did this. Did you hear that? He just said, bless him. And it was just a real quick, brief prayer. I don't know if anyone else noticed. He doesn't know I noticed. You know? And that was just very impressive to me hearing about a very pivotal decision in a young man's life that the very first breath would have been a prayer. It's good. Just attaching a prayer to the ordinary, you know, numerous things we face in the course of a day. And finally, I will just suggest to you uh, the frequency. It seems to me there should be some frequent Praying with other people. And I know that something's not real popular in some cases, some folks are real shy, and sometimes, you know, it takes some time to get comfortable with this. And I think it would be safe to say uh, today, I had, had thought about this, wasn't sure if I'd say it because the uh, connection here, but there's something I'm going to always remember. Nathan. And that is probably dozens of times over the years, I guess, we've been talking about something. And, you know, usually something related to the center, maybe something in his life, I, you know, whatever. But if there's just something that has come up and, you know, we need to remember to pray about it. You know, with most people, you just say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that, you know, blah, 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 and then off you go. Well, you don't do that with Nathan. Well, let's pray right now. And whether it's in office, parking lot, car, front yard, I guess we've done it over at Jerry Ryan's a few times, right? Wants to be sure it doesn't fall through the cracks and end up forgotten about and neglected. Be able to say, at least while it's on our mind, Join our hearts together and pray about this thing. And it seems to me that if that sounds really odd and really strange, it's just a testimony to how rarely it happens. And perhaps 
obedience to this passage, something like that will occur more frequently in our own lives. With a prayer partner, with folks in our families, with friends at work, friends at the church, whatever the setting, just to be sure that things don't fall through the cracks. When we say we're going to pray about something, at least beginning at that point, we really do it. Would you please uh, pray with me as we close? Holy Father, we're grateful to you for the challenge of the passage that we have before us. And we're thankful for the truths that undergird this kind of conduct and this lifestyle and pattern. That you are the God who is indeed really there. That you are the one who sovereignly directs the events in our lives. Brings all things into our lives. For the glory of Christ in our conformity to His image. Oh, Father, we pray that each of these elements would be on the increase that they would be seen in our lives abundantly without us having to tell everybody we're doing it just be very evident rejoicing and thankfulness in a continuous attitude of prayer we ask you to seal these into our hearts and into our lives on just Sunday Monday and the rest of the week, and indeed for all the time that you have for us here on the earth. In the name of Jesus, amen.